Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Second Opinion Podcast, episode number 271. It is your boy, Celeb, back again, and this time it is a solo cast. Um, I'm only going to be really talking about uh, some QuakeCon-eccentric stuff later on in the show. I have a couple of quick... Um, I have a couple of quick news bits here and there that we're going to talk about uh, before we lead down into the QuakeCon news, um, but I am very excited for this episode, so let's go ahead and dive into it. So, uh, video games coming soon. We have some awesome games. Uh, just recently, of course, uh, Wolfenstein Youngblood launched July 26th. My review for that will be up very soon. Uh, I've been going through all different types of stuff with work. I'm trying to get everything lined back out since we got back from QuakeCon and do some uh, QuakeCon coverage as well. Uh, but I promise you guys, it will be up very, very soon. Um, then on August 27th, we have Control, uh, which is a really awesome game by Remedy. I'm very excited to see how this game plays out and um, if this game... Uh, is going to bring a fan base back uh, to the Remedy's front door. Uh, it's been a while since they've really had like a really big title. Um, and I know recently they did receive a notification that they got Alan Wake back. They have the IP now so they can make another Alan Wake game. And I'm very excited to see that. Then we have Borderlands 3 on September 13th and Destiny 2 Shadowkeep coming out September 17th. So video games uh, that I have been playing recently, uh, haven't been doing a lot of drinking, but gaming I've been playing uh, the Wolfenstein Youngblood, um, which is fantastic. I'm really enjoying my time with it. It's very different. Um, I would say my only biggest issue that I've had with it now, even when you're on a harder difficulty, it seems like the AI just really isn't there. Uh, there's a lot of times that the AI kind of seems to be a little off. Um, but for the most part, it still feels like a Wolfenstein game. Um, and I've enjoyed it so far. So just the fact that this is like a sub kind of side story to the Wolfenstein series is enough for me to, to make me kind of get into it. So, um, but other games that I've been playing, I've been, of course, playing Fallout 76. Uh, I've been getting back into the Elder Scrolls Legends um, scene. Uh, and I've been playing Mortal Kombat 11. So the whole time we were at QuakeCon, me and Daryl were actually training to beat our friend Jesus so we're coming for you, bro. Watch your back. Um, so before we get into um, before we get into really big um, QuakeCon talks, um, it has been uh, officially revealed the Call of Duty Modern Warfare um, multiplayer gameplay has finally been showcased. Um, after some time of waiting, um, the uh, the gameplay was shown off on um, on Twitch. Uh, also, there were some cinematic trailers that had launched, and the game looks super fast. I also saw uh, that they had announced that there was a map that they have that is large enough to fit a total of 64 players in it. Um, so they are looking to do larger scale battles. There's also times in this new Call of Duty Modern Warfare that you can drop tanks, you can drop all this other stuff. So I'm wondering if they're trying to kind of like pull some ideas from bigger games, uh, like, you know, bigger map worlds, like even a battlefield. Uh, the fact that there's a possibility 
that you they may have a large scale map section to where you can have 64 players in one match um, is it's very interesting for a Call of Duty game uh, because Call of Duty is always more kind of closed, uh, close quarter type stuff at the most. I think they've done before is 16 players in one match. So I don't know. And that's not the Battle Royale mode. So they did say that Modern Warfare would possibly have a Battle Royale mode. I don't. I didn't see any like for sure... If it was going to, um, I wouldn't see. I wouldn't see why. I would. I wouldn't understand why they wouldn't because the success of Blackout. So I don't know. Uh, maybe they should just. You know, they're not. I know they're not coming out with a zombie mode. So, um, which is totally fine because the original Modern Warfare didn't come with a zombie mode. But um, I'm very excited to see what Call of Duty is going to do, though, because with Call of Duty Modern Warfare. It just seems like a different style of Call of Duty. The good thing about this new Call of Duty is that it's way faster. Um, it's way more, um, I guess I could say, it's way more dark. Um, so right now, what has been officially revealed is they're doing, um, I know they're going to do a 10v10, a 20v20 uh, in these new game modes. Um, but there is a map. And I cannot remember exactly um, the name of the map or anything like that. But they did say that they are planning on having a large-scale battle map. Um, which is just nuts for a freaking Call of Duty game. But some of the maps that, that I'm looking at right now seem to be way larger. And this this is from, from the gameplay, how smooth everything looks, how different everything looks. Um, this is definitely going to be a Call of Duty for the books because it really looks like they they really try, have tried to change the series as much as possible with faster, smoother gameplay, instant drops for tanks and all this other stuff. Um, you know, Domination, uh, the Domination maps that they have are actually the ones that are like 20v20, um, which is just, it's crazy. It's so crazy. A Domination map, 20v20. This is going to be the 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 most different call of duty that we have seen in some time and it's very exciting for me one of the biggest reasons why i would get tired of call of duty is because the the small scale battles that's the one thing i've always loved about battlefield 5 even though i'm not like the biggest about it uh, or like the best at it um but the battlefield series battlefield 5 was just great but the whole battlefield series um has always been near and dear to my heart because of the large-scale battles. I really love the large-scale battles. I love being able to drop in one side of the map, and you can literally run all the way across this other side. You have all different types of stuff going on. You have people flying in planes, driving in cars, riding in tanks, doing all this other stuff, You know, and you have uh, you know, a, a full-scale battle. It's like actual war. So... With, with Call of Duty, I feel that it's always been the small-scale battles, and it kind of has, like, taken me out of it to an extent of, like, you know, I, I would enjoy my time for a little bit, but just playing Team Deathmatch over and over and over again, you know, even, even the harder, um, more um, strategic modes, like, you know, Domination, Capture, um, you know, I, I love things like gun game, prop hunt, all this other stuff. Those are so cool. I really like those modes, but it's just, 
you kind of get to that point that you want something different. And with Call of Duty Modern Warfare, from what I've seen so far in the new gameplay, it's actually something different. It's something that could fundamentally change Call of Duty um, forever. So I'm very excited to see uh, to see where they're going to take this. Um, so in other news, really crazy, um, a free update has come to Crash Team Racing. With this free update, it is the Prehistoric Playground Pack. Uh, and we don't only get a prehistoric playground track, we get new carts, new, um, we get new carts and we get new characters as well. Um, with these new characters, we're actually getting, um, some pretty awesome little characters. We're getting baby T, um, from crash bandicoot three warped. Um, and we're also getting, um, some other baby characters. We're getting baby crash. We're getting baby Coco. Um, so this is going to be really cool. Uh, little extra characters to have that you could play in the game. Um, also, I think they did say there was new skins coming to the characters um, and really cool new carts, new skins, new tracks. And this is just something that's going to be happening. I know I totally just repeated myself. This is something that's going to be happening in an update. Um, I think very soon. Is it already this week? Uh, an update for Crash Team Racing lands later this week with two new playable characters, new items, and new modes. Yes. So this will be, uh, it actually should be out already. Or um, what does it say? It's, uh, today's Thursday. No, it, it'll probably possibly come out tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes out August 2nd. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place today, guys. I apologize. But uh, yes, it comes out August 2nd, uh, which I'm very excited for. And um it seems that they're constantly going to be uploading more and more and more stuff um, over a very small amount of time. Um, so I, I can't delete this game off of my system. This is not something that I'm going to be able to give the justification saying, okay, well, I could just make space for something else. Crash Team Racing is a very fun game that you should definitely make sure to check out and play. It's really, really uh, something unique. So please make sure to check it out. Um, and other really big news, Tyler Ninja Bell, uh, Blevins. Oh my God. I can't talk. Tyler Ninja Blevins has officially announced that he is leaving Twitch for mixer. So he announced the other day that he will be leaving Twitch, um, and heading over to mixer. His streams and stuff will be starting very soon. Um, and, I'm kind of shocked. Like it's a really, really big deal because Microsoft owns Mixer um, and he will be exclusively streaming on the Mixer platform. And what's crazy is that the dude makes like a million dollars a month. Um, he makes around, I think from, from what was, I don't know if they actually had real, information about this but i think the dude makes around a million a month and twitch has seemed to really do a lot for ninja um and he uh pretty much was just like hey this is the announcement this is something i've been talking about for some time um and uh looking into doing for some time and uh you know i'm moving to mixer so obviously i think we can all agree that microsoft probably was in talks with ninja I was like, hey, if you get on Mixer 
and um, you know ex- stream exclusively on ours. We can do this for you, this for you, blah 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 blah, whatever. Um, or probably maybe even give him, you know, instead of giving him a million dollars a month, they gave him three million dollars a month. So it's a it's a crazy thing. I think this is something we are actually going to start seeing more often. Um, I think we're about to start seeing some of these really big streamers. Um, possibly moving to different platforms or, you know, having quote unquote contract signings, um, to, uh, to try and, I don't know, to try and further their career or just change things up. But I don't know. I don't think anyone should really be mad about this. Like, you know, if the dude wants to move over to Mixer, then whatever you know it's his it's his prerogative he can move to mixer he can move to youtube gaming he can move to whatever he wanted to move to um but it's just crazy now i know in this report right here it says the escapist reports that twitch youtube gaming and mixer all negotiated for exclusive rights with the numbers ranging from 50 to 100 million dollars holy shit so they were all at, the, at one point in time, trying to negotiate exclusive streaming rights for freaking Ninja, uh, anywhere between 50 to $100 million for a contract. So it's really crazy to me, dude. I mean, just I, I, I can't fathom it, bro. I can't fathom it. It's one dude, bro. It's one dude that streams, you know, pretty good content, but holy shit. 50 to $100 million. You you have companies literally pretty much fighting over this one guy because how much, you know, how many views and shit that he can pull at one time. Like, is that the world we're moving into? Toward these, these guys or girls or whoever, like they get so overly popular that you have companies chomping at the bit to, to spend millions upon millions of dollars just to get them to, to stream exclusively on their platform. That's a strange world, man. It really is. I, I'm I'm very happy for him. I mean, he's he's obviously swimming in money right now, but very happy for him. But it's just it's so crazy to kind of wrap my head around what what gaming is turning into now. Um, I don't know, man. It's very strange to me. So. It's also been announced uh, as of uh, this past Tuesday that Outer Worlds will be coming out on Nintendo Switch. This is really huge news. Outer Worlds is a a sci-fi RPG uh, from Obsidian Entertainment. And the fact that it is going to be on Nintendo Switch is huge, guys. I mean, this is really, really big news because the Outer Worlds is probably one of the most promising uh, sci-fi RPGs to be uh, created in quite some time. The stuff that we saw previously at E3 was fantastic. We really loved what we saw with the gameplay, with the overall, you know, story-driven um, game uh, that, that Obsidian has created. Uh, basically trying to make their own, like, mixture of, like, Bioshock, Mass Effect, and Fallout. I don't know. It's, it's very interesting. It's very strange. And um, I cannot wait to play this game. It does come out later this year. Uh, comes out October 25th, which I cannot wait to play it. I will be playing it day one, no matter the situation. Um, but uh, Obsidian should be uh, Obsidian should be very excited 
to be able to bring this to the mobile platform. I mean, bro, think about having something like a Switch Lite that is, you know, much smaller than the regular Switch. Yes, you can't put it into a dock, but you're able to carry something like that around constantly and play a game like the Outer Worlds. That's huge, man. It really is huge to me. Uh, and I'm very, like I said, I'm very excited to see how this game kind of expands on RPG elements too. With, with you know, Fallout. Fallout was just one of those games that I instantly fell in love with because of the the RPG element, because of the adventure, because of the survival aspect, um, and. You know, Bethesda has always been one of those companies that's always kind of been behind the scenes. Uh, well, kind of always been in that style or in that genre with games like Skyrim, Elder Scrolls, you know, uh, you know, Fallout, whatever. Even Doom is kind of a survival style game. Um, but, um, and, and Wolfenstein as well. But with that being said, I'm very glad to see another company kind of like hitting a home run with a new game that didn't have anyone else's tagline on it. You know what I'm saying? So I think, I think Bethesda is actually really excited for obsidian. Um, I know while we were at E3, there were some Bethesda reps that were actually there to see it. And they were very excited to see what the game had to offer. Um, so I think, I think overall the games industry as a whole, can't wait to see what obsidian is doing with this title. Also, new information has been announced that the PlayStation 4 lifetime shipments have topped a total of 100 million consoles. Sony has officially shipped 100 million PS4s since November of 2013. This is huge, surpassing the previous biggest seller, the PlayStation 2. It's really crazy to me to see that. Uh, it's really crazy to me to see that Sony has has outsold the PlayStation 2 which was fundamentally one of the biggest and best consoles ever created um and that's god's honest truth like PS2 uh, like Xbox was a great console um i think there was they had some really good ideas with it um but the thing is the thing is is that it um the thing about the Xbox is that it was it was something new, um, and uh, you know PlayStation had already been around for just a bit. You know you had PS1, PS, uh, PS1 beforehand, um, but with the with the Xbox, I think Xbox really kind of rung in what online gaming is all about uh, with Xbox Live. But the fact that the fact that in a very short amount of time. Um, PlayStation 4 is just completely dominated the globe. Um, it does say right here on Daniel Ahmad's Twitter page, uh, which he is basically a video games insider. He's a senior analyst at uh, Nyko. Uh, but anyways, he does say right here, new milestone. Sony has shipped 100 million PS4 since June, uh, as of June 30th, 2019. A total of 3.2 million consoles were shipped just during April to June. Is that not crazy? 3.2 million consoles were sold in between April and June. Uh, he did go on to say this makes PlayStation 4 the fastest 
home console to reach 100 million units sell in faster than both PS2 and Wii, which were just behind. Uh, it took PS2 a total of five years and nine months. PlayStation 4 was just five years and seven months to reach this goal. So this is huge. This is um, very exciting um, for, for Sony. Um, and it's very exciting for the games industry as well to see something like this. Um, it shows that gaming will not be slowing down for some time. I've heard so many times people talk about like a video game uh, industry crash. Like the crash is coming back. They're going to, the industry is going to crash really hard. Um, and we're going to be a really tight spot. I'm telling you right now, man, gaming has never been stronger. It is in a constant flux of, you know, growing and growing and growing. Something that I actually talked to with like, you know, Rich Lampel, um, uh, or Rich Lampel, Rich Lambert, um, the, uh, <laughs> My God, the creative director from Zenimax Online this past weekend at QuakeCon, we were talking about how ESO has constantly been growing um, in the interview that we did. And it has been. I mean, it is literally constantly growing. Um, the the overall community has grown exponentially um, over the years since the uh, over the years since the, you know, basically revamp of the game. Originally, when it first launched, Yes, it had its problems, but at the same time, you know, you there's sometimes that we, I think we all have to kind of give games their due time to grow when they're in new, um, when, when they're in something new, you know what I'm saying? Like Elder Scrolls was, has always been an action adventure RPG. Um, but when you take something from a single player aspect and move it into an online aspect, um, yes, MMOs have been around for some time, but still, you know, you just have to give everything, you know, time to change, time to grow, time to make improvements. So we have seen that with with Elder Scrolls Online. It made a huge improvement from its original vanilla version of the game to now, which is one of the most largest, uh, one of the largest, most sprawling uh, MMORPGs on the marketplace. Um, and it's something that I'm definitely going to get into um, more uh, after the interview that we had with Rich, which will be featured on this episode. That's the reason why this episode is so long. We do have two interviews uh, that we will be featuring on this episode. One with Marty Stratton and Hugo Martin from Doom uh, Eternal and Id Software. Uh, and also Rich Lambert, creative director of uh, Zenimax Online, uh, Zenimax Online's Elder Scrolls Online. So very excited for you guys to hear that. Really hope you enjoy it. Also on there, we do have some other members of the media. There was one gentleman there. I cannot remember his name. I was not able to get the information for the uh, media outlet that he was covering the event for. Um, but I will tell you this much. Um, it was a really great interview. Uh, we did talk about some non-traditional stuff uh, because we were interviewing like Hugo and Marty uh, kind of about their thoughts and, and, and mindsets on Doom as a whole with it being Doom. Uh, the year of doom and 25 years of doom, you know, and plus we've done these interviews before to where we ask very specific questions and there's a lot of times that they can't really answer some of that stuff. So, um, you know, there's some that we did, um, uh, like in, in the ESO, um, interview, we did some pretty good, uh, questions about elsewhere and you know, where it's going to go in the future. ESO, uh, where it's going to go in the future, but with the, with doom, 
we couldn't really get heavy into details about what we were expecting with the game, but I do plan on going back uh, to id Software sometime soon and doing an uh, interview um, with some of the people at the studio, hopefully. Um, we're trying to get that all set up now, and um, we'll have a little bit more information uh, about the game and what you can expect. So, with that being said, we got a couple more topics, and then we're going to move into a music minute. Um, and then um, we're going to move into a music minute. And then after that, we're going to talk a little bit more about QuakeCon. Um, so, uh, like I had said earlier, I think we can all admit that we're very excited for Call of Duty. Uh, and I meant to talk about this uh, from the get-go. Uh, but, of course, you know, I'm kind of sporadic whenever I do the podcast solo by myself. Um, but uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare's Dark Edition has been revealed um, and it comes with a pair of night vision goggles, just like back in the day, just like back in the day with the, uh, with the modern warfare two collector's edition, it came with night, night vision goggles, but these bad boys look way more crazy detailed. Um, it's super nuts. Um, with this, with this mode, you actually get a steelbook case, you get a custom in-game tactical knife. Um, you get a Call of Duty Endowment animated calling card for your profile. Uh, and then you get Operation Packs, which are three themed operation um, operator, operator packs and additional bonus items. So you get three different operators. Um, and then you each one of those operators are themed uh, with different themed weapons and so on and so forth. So... Um, Call of Duty is changing as we know. Uh, I don't think there will be a season pass this year. Um, all the maps will be free, which is fantastic. But this mode right here, um, from what is said, I think is possibly going to be $199. So if you want a thing of night vision goggles with a stand, head on over to Amazon, GameStop, whatever, and uh, put your damn shit in pretty quick because i'm sure this is going to go fast i'm still upset that uh the one collector's edition i really wanted this year was the doom eternal collector's edition with the helmet and i'm really upset that i didn't get it um i didn't get the fallout collector's edition and i was dead set on getting the doom eternal collector's edition and i didn't get it so I don't know. Hopefully something will change and your boy is going to be able to find a way of getting that collector's edition into his collection without being completely screwed over money-wise. So um, with that being said, guys, pretty cool news. Um, we're going to take a quick uh, music minute when we come back. I'm going to talk about my thoughts on Doom Eternal, and I'm also going to talk about my thoughts on Fallout 76 and the stuff coming to the game, and then I'm going to let you guys listen to our interviews um, from QuakeCon. We'll be back right after this. Thank you. 
All right, guys, we hope you enjoyed that music minute brought to you by the one and only tech industry. So definitely make sure to check them out. Um, so as I said, we got some fallout 76 stuff to talk about. I'm pretty excited about this. Um, it is going to be quite a year for fallout 76. Things are getting better. The game is getting better. Improvements are constantly being made and I cannot sit here and talk shit about this game. It is very exciting to see the studio really getting behind the fact that the game was not launched in the best forms, uh, but they are fixing it. Um, and the reason why I know it is going to be even a better experience than ever before is because what they announced during QuakeCon. So the stuff that is coming, first off, there is a double XP event that starts, I think, August 1st um, it starts on Thursday August 1st um, which is today <laughs> um, it started at 12 p.m. today and um, it's well of course it's probably not today by the time you're listening to this but still um, it uh, it's very exciting to see what um, to, to see a double XP event and something like Fallout 4 and I originally thought that this was just a double XP event for the uh, for the nuclear winter mode but it's actually only for adventure and survival modes so I am definitely jumping back into the adventure mode to take uh, to, to take advantage of this double XP event help me level my character up and get further into the adventure mode than I ever have before I'm really going to try to take advantage of it and level my character up as much as possible during this event um, also at the panel uh, they unveiled the roadmap for summer 2019 which included highlights of new content um uh, new maps and new perks so with this roadmap there's new game modes available available now the nuclear winter mode beta has released which we know that new events august 1st which is today a seasonal meet week event a new seasonal event to celebrate the heat of summer with everyone's favorite super mutant graham uh, graham uh, and his best pal, Callie and the Moo Moo. Uh, play and earn legendary script and other summer-themed items. Then there, on August 20th, there is a new four-player mode coming to the game. It is a four-player raid uh, for Vault 94, Mission 1 through 3, Rotation. Explore a new vault and uncover Vault Tech's experiment to see what happened when the society's uh, when a society's ideals become reality, earn unique social rewards and armor recipes with a legendary set of bonuses and play a different mission in rotation each week. That is so fucking awesome, bro. If I can find some people online that I will be able to really get into this raid mode with, I would love that. I've got to find some people online to start playing this game with. Please come play with me on PS4. Um, nuclear winter feature, uh, August 13th, choose your perk duplicate perk cards award overseer tickets, allowing you to unlock perks of your choosing. So I guess you are able to actually kind of choose your own perk card. Um, if you, I guess if you get a duplicate per, per card, you'll be able to switch it out for one that you actually want. Um, so that would be awesome. 
Um, new camp items are coming October 20th with display cases, which is pretty cool. Um, new improvements. September, the event system improves. Updates, uh, <clears throat> updates based on community feedback um, are coming very soon for your multiplayer events, public events. Um, featuring new performance based on reward rules, free fast travels to event locations, and more. That's so fucking cool because that's actually probably one of my most hated things about the game. If there's an event that pops up, I usually want to fast travel over there because I can see people in the world playing the game um, and it gives me a chance to play with more people online. But with me not playing it there for a bit, I don't always have the most caps to get over there. So um, I can I can fast travel, but it really drops my caps down. So um, the fact that there's a very uh, that very soon there's going to be an update to take that feature out to where you have to spend money to go to events um, is really awesome. Um, legendary vendor sales are coming in September as well. And another thing that's coming in September, a nuclear winter map, a brand new map uh, is coming to the nuclear winter mode. New storms are brewing over Avalanche. Return to face off with a fellow with your fellow dwellers in an all new map. So, and then the NPC um, news, they kind of talked about it a little bit at QuakeCon. Um, they don't plan on releasing really a lot of the information until a little bit later on, um, but the NPCs are coming back very soon. So I'm very excited for what is coming to Fallout 76 with this summer 2019 roadmap, and I can't wait to see all the new stuff that is coming to Fallout. I really hope, really, really hope that um, the NPC update will come this year. Um, hopefully, possibly in November, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I think we can all agree that um, when the, the NPC update comes, I think it's going to be a fantastic update. I think it's going to make the game so much more lively and so it feels so much more like a fallout game and you know i've really really been giving this game a chance and i feel that since they've done the updates it's a lot more um it's a lot more well-rounded than what it was whenever it first launched um so uh during quakecon i did get to sit down with doom eternal again and i have to say the game is just fantastic um, one of the best things about the demo is I had already played it once before, so I was able to skip a little bit further ahead um, and <clears throat> I was able to skip a little bit further ahead and get a little bit more of a deep dive into the game, looking around, looking at the graphics, kind of um, spending a little bit more time in the shoes of the Doom Slayer. And I have to say, I'm very, very excited for this game, even more now than ever before. The game is so much more fast-paced. The Doom Slayer is so much more intense this time around compared to previously. But one thing I noticed while I was there too was like the HUD was the ability uh, as, uh, of, of the Doom Slayer has been constantly improved. And it's a culmination and mixture of everything um, that has come out in the last you know 25 years. It feels like new Doom and it feels like old Doom all wrapped together. You have these classic demons from the previous games coming back. You have also, um, you have the classic, you know, grunts. You have the classic 
Um, which I love that, bro. Like in the first, I, I'm pretty sure in Doom 2016, the first installment of the new relaunch series, there wasn't a lot of noise that the Doom Slayer made. But like that's what I loved about the classic Doom. Like if you got hit, he's like, mm, uh, mm, uh. like I, I love that, bro. I do. Um, but you can hear that in this new one. And like and when he gets damaged, he's like, oh. So I, I, it just it really feels like id Software is trying to make this game new and old and like a total mixture of everything that we have always loved about the Doom series. Um, so one thing that I really loved about the demo is just how fast paced it is, man. It is is it constantly fast paced, and the the uh, easy uh, the it's so easy to get like quote unquote combos in this game uh, of running up to a to say an imp, um, you know, blasting his face off with a double shotgun, turn around and you have zombies walking towards you, or you know you know undead whatever. Um, <laughs> I have. With with each uh, with the, each move set, you can get different items. So if you um, if you shoot the zombies with your flamethrower, um, you can get shields. Um, if you I think if you uh, do a quick kill, you can get health. And if you shoot them with your gun, you can get ammo. Um, so there was one point that I had like an imp and a super demon next to me. So I. What did I do? I think I like shot the, um, I think I shot the imp with the shotgun and then I, uh, quick killed him. So I got health turn around. Super demon was there. I flamethrowed him. <coughs> Sorry guys. Uh, my voice is starting to go out. It was a long week. Um, I used my flamethrower. Um, and then I shot a grenade at his feet. He started kind of glowing, uh, for a quick kill. And then I chainsawed him in half. Turned around, all the zombies and stuff were coming towards me, and then I shot a flamethrower at them, caught all of them on fire, and then I pulled out my my plasma rifle and just tore them all down. Another thing too, which is really fucking cool, dude. Like it, with the demons that have the shields in the previous games, you know, it was always really hard for you, even with the plasma rifle, to kind of like take their shields down. Well, with the new Doom, Doom Eternal, you can actually disable their fucking shields with the plasma rifle, which is going to be huge. I'll be using the plasma rifle anytime I see those sons of bitches because I hate those fucking shields. Um, but it's so cool to see everything just merge together so easily over a 25-year span. I feel as I was playing the demo, I, I was like a giddy kid, man. I was just over there just losing my shit the whole time. Because it's such a fast-paced fucking game. It's so fast-paced. Um, uh, I I kind of actually at one point lost track of what the fuck I was doing. Because I was just like moving back and forth. I was, you know, killing zombies. I was like, oh shit, where the fuck was I supposed to be going? Um, but the, the world too. Like each one of these maps um, or levels are so much larger than what they were previously. It doesn't feel like it's something like uh, Doom 2016, everything was in a room. You know what I'm saying? Even when you were outside of a building, it felt like you had one localized area that you, that you can kind of go to. Well, in Doom 2016, like, you know, Hugo and them had said uh, when I was talking to him before, it everything is much larger um, and much more open, much more real. You know what I'm saying? So... Uh, as a Doom Slayer, he can go and do whatever the fuck he wants to 
Um, and that's what I love about the game is that he is very, uh, is very kind of like, if I want to go over here and search for, <laughs> if I want to go over here and search for secrets and shit, cool. But like the level design, I don't know really how to explain it. The level design, the, the action and the doom slayer all merge together. Like it just feels so right, bro. It feels so right. It feels like the the everything you know there's sometimes i've played games before like your character is very overpowered fast-paced and shit like that and he doesn't feel right in that set world because everything's so close quarters and all this shit and you're like okay well i can do all this stuff but i can barely move around but it's almost like when they designed this shit they were like listen this motherfucker's fast he's powerful he's gonna do all this shit um all at one time He's going to rip people to shreds, cut them to shreds, be able to dash, jump, claw his way into the wall, crawl up shit. We need to have levels that feel more open, that feel more real, that feel more, uh, tr have a, to feel more like they have a, the, the character has the ability of traversing easier. Um, and I felt that way with this game. It was so easy to go from one area to the other without having to run into a wall or, you know, open this fucking door or whatever else. And I'm just, I'm so over the fucking moon for this game. I'm so over the moon. I'm so ready for it to launch. Comes out, um, comes out very soon. I can't even think of the date. November 22nd. I'm very excited for it. And I hope you guys are too. Um, so with that being said, Oh, and also, I will have my Wolf Inside Young Blood up, uh, Young Blood review up very soon. I think it's a fantastic game. I will say, I think there are some shortcomings in this game that make it kind of feel a little off. Um, but I still think that it is a fun experience for anyone to to have um, because of the style of gameplay. With it being a co-op Wolfenstein game, the first of its kind. You definitely need to make sure to check it out. And plus, it's only 29 bucks, So you really shouldn't be complaining about nothing. Um, anyways, like I said, uh, we are about to listen to our um, interviews with Hugo Martin and Marty Stratton and also Rich Lambert of uh, ZeniMax Online. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Each one of these interviews range about 30 minutes. Um, so that's why the episode is so long. But please do me a favor, tune into these. We got some great questions for them, some kind of non-traditional questions. Um, and uh, we really appreciate you all tuning in. Make sure to check us out next week. Episode 272 will be coming. Uh, and my boy Bolts will be back. And we'll uh, get into an argument because he didn't get to go to QuakeCon. He'll be all right. <laughs> Love you guys very much. I'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Okay. What's up, guys? Celeb with Cinelinks, joined by some more people, part of the media. Uh, here with Rich, uh, working on Elder Scrolls Online uh, and their newest expansion elsewhere. So, what's up, man? How's your QuakeCon? How's everything going? It's been a blast. Yeah? We're having tons of fun in the BYOC. We've got uh, our booth here, and we got a panel coming up pretty yeah. soon, too. Awesome, awesome. So, um, I'm going to start out the gate with a total bullshit question. So, uh -oh. just to, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, how am I going to get into this game now? Like... I, I feel like such uh, such an idiot for not getting into this game more. We talked about this last year when mm -hmm. you were showing off uh, last year's expansion. And I was like, oh, man, I'm going to get into it. I'm going to play it with my wife. Never did it. And now the, the more 
DLC that's coming out, I'm like, bro, I feel like I'm about to be backlogged like big time. <laughs> so what is the easiest way, as somebody that hasn't really gotten into the game mm -hmm. much, what's the easiest way me to transition into ESO? Just start. Like, so go in, grab elsewhere. Okay. Uh, there's a brand new tutorial in there mm -hmm. for that. It gets you into the story, teaches you a lot more about the game than our previous tutorials did. And then just explore. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing that uh, I say to people who are freshly coming into to ESO is ESO is a different game. It's not like your traditional MMO. Yeah. Uh, you can go anywhere, you can do anything. It doesn't matter what level you are. You're never really behind your friends. You know, level is your personal growth, but you can always play with your friends. I can be a max level player, you can be a brand new player, we can play together, make meaningful progression, and explore, and just kind of do things together. Awesome. Uh, so it's really easy to pick up, put down, you know, if you have small bite-sized chunks of time to play, you can do that. If you want to play hardcore and go hardcore, you can totally do that as well. It's, it's really up to you and how you want to do it. Awesome. Um. So first of all, I just wanted to say um, I'm one of those people who have always eyed this game from afar. You know, big Elder Scrolls fan, but not as big into MMOs. Mm -hmm. So I too, I was wondering, you know, well, with Elsewhere, should I jump in? Um, and I think instead of just repeating his question, you know, I'll ask on the topic of Elsewhere, what has it been like exploring these geographic locations that haven't been seen like since the original Elder Scrolls? It's a lot of fun for us. You know, we get to kind of leave our mark in Elder Scrolls history, which is really fun. Um, but it's also really entertaining to be able to, to dig in and portray some of the races in a different light. You know, the Khajiit and Elder Scrolls have always been kind of these nomadic traveler, sneak thievy type, you know, people. And in Elsewhere, we really explore their culture mm -hmm. and their spirituality. And it's a very different side of the Khajiit. Okay. On the topic of elsewhere, since we're already there, um, the one I actually have is pertaining to the Year of the Dragon. We already know uh, Wrathstone really kicked it off right before Elsewhere came out, and with those two dungeons, we actually got an idea of where Abnathar was going to lead us story-wise. Now, the question I have is, with Skellbreaker on the horizon, is there anything else for the Year of the Dragon coming out, or is Skellbreaker basically going to be the high note? That oh, ends there's lots more. There's lots more to go. So, Skellbreaker uh, is our dungeon DLC. It's on our public test server right now. It helps further the story. There is a prologue quest that um, brings back a character that people are going to be really excited for. And then uh, in quarter four, we're doing a story DLC that is called Dragon Hold. And that is focused on the Dragon Guard and kind of putting that, putting the band back together, so to speak. Uh, and that is where we're going to culminate the storyline of Season of the Dragon. There, okay. So. Kevin with Tick Games Network. Um, I, one of the things I wanted to touch on, so I know as far as in terms of pure content, it seems like you guys are, are always cranking something out, always have something new for the players available. So what, in your kind of, in your planning and development process, how do you guys go about balancing kind of making in, improvements to the base game itself or kind of touching up and fixing things through patches versus creating brand new content <coughs> and, and how that kind of blends together? It is a difficult process. It's yeah. <laughs> definitely a balance for sure. Right. Um, one of our mottos is kind of do a little bit of everything. Okay. So new content, quality of life, 
you know, we've got a bunch of quality of life improvements coming in, in 23. Multicraft is like a really good example of that, where uh, with our crafting system right now, if you wanted to make 100 potions, mm -hmm. you'd have to make 40 makes or whatever it is, depending on the passives that you had. So you have to hit this button 40 or 50 times in order to make 100 potions. Right. Multicraft lets you say, I want 100 potions and click create. And as long as you have those materials, it just makes 100 potions. Okay. okay. That's uh, nice. So, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I use the alchemy version because yeah. it, is, it is awesome. Uh, right. And then we also have to juggle balance uh, in terms of bug fixing and right. performance improvements. Right. And that's another thing that we're working really hard on, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, at our panel mm -hmm. this afternoon, is uh, what our kind of roadmap is for performance improvements and where okay. we want to go because we're not happy with performance, especially on console. Okay. Uh, and all of those things are, are very long poles. So right. we want to make sure people know that, no, we're not ignoring it. It just takes a while in order to, to get to that point. Okay. So I have a question, too. Um, so the trailers that y'all do for every DLC... Which ones? The gameplay ones the or the game, CGI ones? The CGI ones. Okay, yeah. Just Ridiculous. Yes. I mean, they're so, <laughs> so good. This year especially has been amazing. Yeah. That one that we showed at E3, just <laughs> unbelievable. unbelievable. Yeah. Well, you know, with Cinelinks, we're all about, like, you know, everything geek, gaming, movies. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, like, when are y'all going to make an Elder Scrolls movie? Like, just, <laughs> just, it needs to be done. <laughs> like, I, I've actually heard that a lot. Yeah. That would be really cool. I have no idea. I mean, my focus is on Elder Scrolls Online. And yeah. if, if there was a, an Elder Scrolls movie that, that you could have anything in, what would you want the storyline to kind of base around? Is there any certain <clears> race or... No, I, I think the the thing about Elder Scrolls Online, or just Elder Scrolls in general, yeah. is the world feels believable yeah. and feels inclusive, mm -hmm. right? You know, and, and you kind of see that in Elder Scrolls Online. Like, it doesn't matter if you're straight or if you're gay or whatever. Like, exactly. we just tell stories, and yeah. we don't pomp up those stories. It's yeah. just, it's part of the world. So I think that would have to be a really core part of that Whatever that story is, whatever yeah. that movie would be. That'd be awesome, yeah. yeah. Um, so, also, <clears throat> also and elsewhere, um, you brought back dragons, and I just wanted to ask, what was it like bringing them back, both in terms of tweaking the lore and also in terms of implementing them in an MMO as opposed to, say, a game like Skyrim? Dragons were a very, very long pull for us. <laughs> Um, I think it was almost a year of implementation time and tech time to get them in and there are these giant large monsters um, and with with large monsters it's hard to make them look believable and move in believable ways yeah. even sure. down to like turning like they have banks and they bank when they turn and their heads fall like so it was, it was a very long pull in terms of tech and implementation lore wise we worked really closely with Bethesda Game Studios because mm -hmm. they're you know, they're the IP holder. And uh, we went back and forth a few times on, you know, where dragons were, how we could do this, because in our timeline, we're a thousand years in the past. In our timeline, they're not really around. Mm -hmm. um, they're not gone, and that was the thing that we worked out with Bethesda is, you know, where could they be? Wh why are they kind of in hiding? And how could we get them into Elder Scrolls Online? And that's kind of where we came up with this season of the dragon and how it was more of an isolated incident rather than this massive invasion of dragons. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, in the terms of uh, lore and story, one I've, that's been bugging me for a while now is we talked about before the interview started werewolves, vampires, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Is there any intention on expanding upon them in the future, story wise? Uh, well, hmm. How do I answer this question hmm. without spoiling things? <laughs> I mean, I guess the the short answer is, yeah, we're always looking at ways to improve. We always want to tell stories. Uh, We have a ton of new stories planned. Like, we're not slowing down with ESO. We're still going to do the quarterly updates like we always do. Um, And we've heard, you know, werewolf and vampire a lot. Okay, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that actually, that's satisfying. Okay, good. And uh, so I, I've noticed, I think it was in a, a previous uh, interview you did earlier this year, you mentioned that you guys had kind of taken a, a new focus this year in creating storylines and quest lines that are more focused on kind of down-to-earth um, kind of interaction versus kind of real grandiose, um, mm-hmm. everybody's kind of impacting the whole world deals. Can you tell me a little bit about kind of why that decision came about and what impact you were hoping it had for the player base? Well, I think it comes down to just storytelling in general, Okay. right? And if everybody is special all the time, mm-hmm. then nobody is nobody, special. Right. Okay. And it's a it's a balance in terms of, of telling stories where for quite a while there, for a number of updates from I guess it was Morrowind all the way to the end of Somerset, we were telling this almost cosmic story of the Daedra and how they're meddling with the world. And we wanted to do something different with Elsewhere where it was more focused on, and I don't want to say mundane, because that has negative connotations, but it was more down to earth, or down to Tamriel, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And and focus more on culture and, you know, that that physical threat rather than this cosmic threat. Okay. Uh, And that doesn't mean that's all the types of stories we're going to tell. We're going to mix it up. But that was just a nice kind of differentiator between the storylines that we've been telling. Um, so I think last year you and me kind of talked um, during the little gameplay session that we were looking at uh, about like player base and like you know originally whenever it first launched player base was like good and rocky and back and up and down so now like I'm a big console guy uh, and I've the bit that I've played so far it seems like the world is I mean there's a mass amount of people online have you seen with the new DLC, is it like a constant growth on player base? Are you seeing things starting to kind of balance out? Are, are people, the community as a whole, I know from what I've seen online, it's like constantly growing. So it makes me excited that like even if I do wait a bit to play it, there's always going to be people I can play with online. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, ESO has really never been stronger than now. Yeah. I think it was at E3 we announced... You know, we added two and a half million new players yeah. uh, over the course of the, the last year. So mm-hmm. it's growing. It's getting bigger. Uh, our community is better than it's ever been as yeah. well. So, um, yeah, things are, are looking really good awesome. for us over here. And one of the extra bonuses that we have uh, with that is because we utilize uh, this mega server technology, mm-hmm. right? When you log in, you just choose where you want to play, you know, North America or Europe. You don't choose which server. So everybody is always in the world at the same time, and it feels a lot, a lot more full yeah. all the time. Fantastic. Um, so you mentioned working with Bethesda Game Studios on the lore behind Dragons, and I've always wondered with Elder Scrolls Online, um, 
what's it like being given charge, I guess, so to say, of this huge lore and huge fictional world and not making, you know, the typical first-person action RPG, but making it into an MMO? Like, what is, what is like, the pressure or, like, the excitement there? I will say that uh, leading up to launch was definitely a very different feeling. You know, we were obviously a little bit nervous. You know, this was a giant IP. This was a beloved IP, and we didn't want to, you know, screw it up. Um, but over the years, we've gotten a lot more comfortable in working in that area, and we understand the lore a lot better. I've been working on ESO for 12 years now. Wow. Uh, so uh, I have a really good idea of kind of where the lore is, what Bethesda would do mm. in terms of types of stories they would tell. Uh, and we work really closely with them. So if we're not sure about something, it's a phone call away, or it's a drive down to, to Rockville and sit down and talk with them. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, uh, at this point now, it's more excitement than it is nerves. Like right. it was very, very nervous at launch, and now it is, hey, we get to go to Somerset and explore yeah. Somerset. You've never seen that before. What does that look like? What are the types of stories we're gonna tell? And that's a ton of fun. Yeah. Now, one thing um, that was new to Elsewhere that was a major change was the public dungeon system. Um, what was the thought of going in and going, hey, instead of just having these huge dungeons, what was the mindset of going, let's open it up and make it a world-type ordeal? What was that thought process? Well, I'd say public dungeons in general have always kind of, their, their intent was these giant sprawling public spaces that uh, people would kind of naturally meet up with each other and then help each other through the, through the dungeon. Um, with Elsewhere, we kind of went a little bigger in scope on that, um, but I think it was just more of a natural evolution of what they are and kind of how we've been building them and kind of how do we one-up ourselves. Uh, that's something that the, the world builders especially always try to do when they're building spaces is, okay, here's the bar, from the last one, how do we go up to here, this one? And, and they, they constantly play that game, which is entertaining. Kind of a second part to the same question is, have you been seeing a noticeable growth in players accessing those dungeons? Um, I think the engagement of them overall has gone up. Um, I think part of that is because uh, people are getting a little bit more comfortable with exploring in the game. I think another part of that is they're better itemized than they were. Now there's actually chase items that you can go in and get and create and then you make these really cool neat little mementos or costumes or things like that. So I think all of that kind of helps okay. improve that. Awesome. <laughs> um, kind of following up on his question with regards to the lore and everything. So you know there's the pressures that come along with, with having something so well established that has its own fan base. And it sounds like they've given you kind of a little bit of license to explore either, you know, kind of altering or changing that or maybe even adding new elements of lore. Um, what, what are some of kind of the, your, your proudest accomplishments and is there anything that you think may carry over into the next single player Elder Scrolls <laughs> game that they may actually use? I was use wondering when you? that question was yeah. going to come. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I will say, uh, I think one of the proudest things for me is what we did in Orsidium and how we explored the orc culture. Okay. Uh, there were tons of kind of conflicting reports, like Elder Scrolls is, there's multiple, multiple perspectives. Right. Um, and really being able to dig in and tell the story of the orcs and kind of 
what Orsinium was and Rothgar was and how they've always kind of interacted with the world. Um, there wasn't a ton of concrete detail on that. Okay. So that was that was tons of fun. Um, but we also, you know, going in and exploring Merkmire. That was another really fun one for us. Right. Clockwork City was another one. Right. Um, so it's really awesome to be able to work as closely with them as we do and have that level of trust that we do with them now. Like, um, we, we do work a lot with each other and we will bounce things off each other quite a bit, right. which, is, which is nice. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes <laughs> we get it wrong and uh, they're really good about telling us, no, no, you got it wrong in this regard or you know, come back and do it this way or this is how we would tell this story. So it's awesome. And then for carryover, I mean, Todd has said many times <laughs> that whatever you see in game is canon. Right. 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 And Elder Scrolls Online is part of that game and part of that canon. Awesome. So. Okay. Awesome. Uh, well, we've talked about the, the the main just about the, the games, the DLC, what's coming on in the future, but about you. Uh oh. I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know you <laughs> what what is one of your favorite things about elsewhere what's something that you love to do in the world with this new dlc or just something that you just you, it's just such a passion of yours when you look at it, you're like man we made this dude like i'm sure that's the whole game that's that's of the course. whole game and that's like <laughs> asking me what my favorite kid is <laughs> <laughs> but what's something about this this particular dlc that you're just like you just in love with uh i hmm. I guess if push comes to shove and you're making me choose just <laughs> one thing. Okay, let's well, do it. Uh, I would have to say probably Sunspire, okay. the 12-player trial, and yeah. just kind of how it turned out, how all of the fights feel really interesting. Um, but also that each fight has its own hard mode, so there's something there for the veterans to really dig into. And if they do, they get rewarded. Like, there's a mount in there now if you 100% the entire zone, and we've never done that before. So, And one guild in the world has done it. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's awesome. Only one guild. And there's a few other guilds that are pretty close. But, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess continuing with the topic of you, um, I was, I'd be curious to know what is it like helping to lead Zenimax Online Studios, making a very successful now I believe five-year running MMO. What what is that experience like on a daily basis? A lot of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of meetings. No, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, my job is you know as the creative director is very diverse. I get to uh, review a lot of things. You know, my mornings are basically play sessions, play testing new content, giving feedback on stories and player flow and things like that. Working with uh, the design and combat teams on balance and ability changes and whatnot. Um, but then it's also, I get to work with marketing on things. I get to you know work on PR and, and talk about the game that I've worked on for so long. So it's always something different and it's, it's a lot of fun, mm -hmm. for sure. Okay. Now on the perspective of Elder Scrolls, um, you know, they've been asking a lot of the personal stuff, but over the years, um, is there one specific story you've been wanting to tell that's not been told just yet? Like one specific, you had to choose out of all the you possibilities. my question was on point? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, one so we do have lots of civilization stuff like that, like the Aelids, the Dwemer. 
Well, Todd has definitely said that only he will know what happened with the Dwemer. <laughs> <laughs> and that really riled Pete up, actually. Pete was like, what? You know? Tell me. And he wouldn't. So, uh, uh, Story-wise, um, you know, I'd really have to think about that because we've told a lot of really, really cool stories. I think for me, um, the types of stories that I really enjoy are the ones that really dig into obscure lore, obscure, you know, moments in history. So, you know, things like um, the ancient Yakutans is really, really cool. You know, digging into, um, you know, the Aliads is really, really cool. Like, we've got a lot of Aliad stuff in the game, uh, but there's a lot of other stories that we could dig into and, and really explore there. Um, so, putting me on the spot. I don't have a, a really good example of a story, but those are the types of things that really, really interest me. I also really like um, more of the, the human side of stories. So I guess probably one of my favorites outside of uh, the alchemy storyline in Somerset uh, would be the Naked Nord that we did in the, in the base game, right? And it was just a really simple series of quests where you come up and find this dude who's naked. He doesn't, <laughs> doesn't have his pants, doesn't have any clothes. He tells you the story of how he, you know, you know, was fighting a witch and lost and all that other stuff. And at the very end of the storyline, it turns out he just was on a bender and his wife was yelling at him and he lost all his clothes. <laughs> like, those are the types of stories that are really interesting. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, those are the, it's kind of, it almost reminds me of the, uh, What's his name? And elsewhere, where you're helping the Nord try to do the treaties and mm -hmm. peacekeeping. It, that one was probably one of the biggest laughs of that whole. Yeah, expansion. he. Uh, that's Rigert the Brash. Yes, thank you. Uh, and he's kind of a recurring character that we have. And so he was somebody that we had in Morrowind, and then we had him in Somerset. He's he likes to think of himself as the envoy of the Nords, <laughs> and really he's just a dumbass that. <laughs> has no idea what he's doing and causes more problems than he solves, but he's a super entertaining character. He is. Thank you. Uh, so you mentioned you've been working on ESO for tw 12 years, roughly. Is mm -hmm. that, um, do, working on one project for that length of time, and I know it's something that has so many different aspects you can kind of delve into and work on, do you ever feel like you're, you're reaching a port or you will reach a point where you've kind of contributed all you can to this world and, and you might be interested in working on a different project, or do you see yourself continuing this game for as, as long as humanly possible. Uh, so I will tell you that my passion is MMOs. Okay. Right? Like, that is my thing. I love doing them. Um, this isn't my first Elder Scrolls game. I actually worked on Oblivion as well. Oh, wonderful. So uh, I've been doing this for a very long time. Right. And uh, I love it. Okay. So I love the, the setting. I love the storyline. Um, and I love the world. And the world is so massive. Like, yeah. we just... We have so many more places that we can go and so many more things we can do. I don't see myself doing anything else for a long time. That's really uh, So a question outside of Elder Scrolls Online. We are, of course, at QuakeCon mm -hmm. 2019, Year of Doom. It's a wonderful event. Um, I know you've been coming to QuakeCon for a number of years for, now. for some time now. So um, the, the community at QuakeCon, um, out of all the events I've always gone to, the, the volunteers, the communities, 
it's just such a uh, it's such a family. It's such a it, that that's what I when anytime I talk about Bethesda and Zenimax and stuff like that, I always feel like it always groups into the same thing. It's just this one big family of like geeks and gamers. Um, what's uh, what's like one of the fondest memories of QuakeCon for you? Maybe your first one or. I will say probably the very first time I went to Master Pancake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like, Master Pancake is bad movie, drinking, and three batshit crazy comedian type guys mm -hmm. mocking this movie while you're watching it. Yeah. <laughs> and then you play a drinking game while, you know, they pick a couple of lines that happen or a couple of things that happen all the time. And every time that happens in the movie, everybody takes a drink. And so by the end of the evening, everybody. it's rowdy. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the epitome of, of QuakeCon, which is yeah. this giant um, land party with your buddies, right? Like yeah. that is absolutely something that my buddies and I would do at, at home, yeah. you know? Get a movie, have some drinks, and just have fun. And that's, yeah. it's so cool. Awesome. Um, so speaking of QuakeCon, then, we're celebrating 25 years of Doom. Um, so a very non-Elder Scrolls Online question, just like, what what is your favorite Doom, Doom memory, or what does Doom mean to you? And I guess beyond that, has it affected your path in um, the game industry? So Doom has always been one of those types of games that I played, but never really, really got into. For me, Quake was the thing that really yeah. got me into into multiplayer gaming. I was a huge uh, Team Fortress player. Yeah. <laughs> and I played it played it competitively, you know, I played a scout, I played a medic, I loved conk jumps. Like that was that was my thing. And that really got me into, you know, the competitive side of gaming yeah. and playing with with friends um, more so than some of the MMOs that I had played up to that point. And so that really kind of got me into the, I love the multiplayer aspect of games. How do we go from there? How do we, we get better at that? And that got me into into game development and, and, and well, where I am today. Okay. And um, I want to say, since I'm, I'm out of questions myself, so do I, I thank you for your answers and for your time in this little roundtable interview. Awesome. Yeah. I, have, I, have, I have one more question. Okay. Um, with like studios and studios with like Bungie, you know, anytime there's like these big raids, they do a uh, like if if one team completes that raid, they get like this exclusive stuff, like certain merch and stuff like that. Um, with the Sunspire trials, uh, I know you said something about there's like is there one team that's completed? There's that one stuff? guild that has completed it. And so they far. did they get like a a, a certain achievement or they got an achievement and they get a really cool mount. Oh, okay, yeah. awesome. What kind of mount do they get? Are you able to? Uh, yeah, it's it's a, a sanch. Okay. That uh, is basically fire and ice, oh, which nice. is basically the two aspects of the major dragons yeah. in, in the trial. That's awesome. Yeah, it's okay. really, really cool. Do y'all have any other questions? Uh, the only other one I had is uh, it's actually going back to the whole how it's built up. Um, one I actually get quite a bit when I'm streaming, I've been asked a few times, is can we expect a Merkmire type DLC during Elsewhere's Course of Life? A Merkmire, to, as in like a story DLC? And, yep, a story DLC. Yeah, so that's what Dragonhold so. is. Okay. So Dragonhold is the story DLC. So I probably should have ex explained that. Uh, story DLC is like a Merkmire size piece of okay. content. Clockwork City, you know, that kind of stuff. Awesome. Where it's a zone, 
it's uh, the storyline of the Dragon Guard and kind of putting that band back together, and then there's also the culmination of the season. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. But I know that's one thing they've been asking since there's been a lot of confusion about what it is. Yep. Like, there's so little detail about it at this moment. Yeah, yeah we haven't talked thing. about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... I guess the best part about these interviews. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're we're getting to that point, and we're gonna right. talk. We're gonna show a little bit of, of that zone in the panel today, right? Oh, nice. I think we have. Sadly, I have I to miss it. That. Oh, okay. I'll have to watch the Twitch. There you, go. Yeah. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, last question for me. Um, it seems like you guys have had kind of a, a basically an annual schedule as far as the major expansions go. Mm -hmm. um, is that? And I've noticed that kind of you seem to place an emphasis on. In the past, they've been kind of standalone entities and you've been wanting to make it a focus where they'll kind of tie into each other more and play off of each other more, is that going to impact the release schedule? Because I know that means you have to kind of plan farther ahead than you, you would have otherwise. Uh, no, not really. Okay. Um, you know, the Season of the Dragon kind of storyline is something that was a natural evolution of okay. our, our content model. Um, we're, like, we're already working on next year's stuff. So uh, we have a long pull on a lot of those types of, of things. So it, it just means we have to be a little bit more organized. Right. We have to plan a little bit better. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, no, it doesn't really affect timelines. So we're still going to do the four updates. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate you uh, giving us some time to talk about Elder Scrolls Online and uh, the, the newest DLCs available now. Yeah. And uh, we always appreciate you all being amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Right. I appreciate this. Fun. All right, guys, it is Celeb back again here with the masterminds and uh, probably, I guess I could say, psychos behind <laughs> Doom Eternal, um, Hugo and Marty. Um, you know, we talked last year and uh, you were totally like chomping at the bit to say all this stuff that you wanted yeah, to yeah. say. So I'm going to start it out with a question that I asked you last year. Um, we talked, we've seen a little bit more with this whole heaven-hell kind of aspect of this game. And this is something that I have been like totally freaking out about since the original uh, moment of me seeing this. Now, with the Doom Slayer, he is always the, the guy that's like, fuck everyone else. You know, I'm doing my thing. Um, is that how we're going to see him? In this storyline, if you know, even if you guys can't really talk about the whole heaven and hell aspect, like, is he just going to be like, "Fuck, what's going on between you guys? I'm doing what I need to do." We we often describe it as like there's a catastrophe going on uh, on Earth uh, of biblical proportions. Mm -hmm. It involves heaven and hell and prophecies and scriptures, and the, the Doom Marine just takes a, a shotgun to all of it, you know? <laughs> because at the uh, at, as you can see, I think from the trailer, you know, like. Um, the people who are who are at risk are, are is humanity, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's about all we could say, I think. And um, it'll be fun for people to 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 dive into the story and the lore if they're interested, you know, uh, or just blast demons. Again, it's still a Doom game. Uh, gameplay comes first. Totally. Um, yeah, but we, we're excited. It's it's uh, there's more story, I think. And 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 you go to cooler places, see more demons. Use more mods, have more gameplay changes, uh, changes of scenery and stuff, uh, and and get more narrative beats and lore stuff in the first two levels than you do, I think, in the entire game last time. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, people are gonna dig it. So after a long period of dormancy, um, coming off of Doom Three, um, I wanted to know what's it like 
with the Doom reboot behind you and it being a success and now having the opportunity to work on a sequel, what has it been like to revitalize this franchise both for the old fans, but given the huge gap of years, bring it to a new generation of gamers that maybe hadn't grown up with Doom? It's super rewarding. I mean, it's, you know, we've had, we have so many people, whether you've been at it a long time or a, sh a short period of time, all of us, you know, work for id to be able to work on doom so um to 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 be able to reboot it the way we did with with 2016 was incredibly rewarding but it was all you know it was all very much from the the, the feelings of those original games and and it was uh it was just fantastic to be able to go back to that and and find the the pieces that worked and that are universal so and, and then bring those forward. And I think that's why we kind of were able to capture both classic, you know, kind of people who've loved Doom since they first played it back in 93 or 94, or whenever they played it since then. Um, and and also then it's it's like, you know, just good ingredients. They work, you know, uh, even in even in Doom 2016. So um, so that's been that's been fantastic. And then to, you know, to be able to we went through a lot as a team as we made Doom 2016. You you know you have a lot of you have a lot of defining how you're how you're making the game, what you're making, what it means, what does Doom mean. Um, so we answered a lot of those questions in the course of making that game, and and to have a team that's as strong as we have, that has been through that together. Um, uh, you know our leadership has gone through that together. Um, you, you get to basically then approach a sequel uh, with the idea that you know, we can really, really swing for the fences with this one. Um, you don't have to have all those, you know, all those tough, really time-consuming conversations. Um, we kind of know what we, you know, we know what it is. And, and so that, I think that's where, like, when you, when you look at the way we've approached Doom Eternal and, and how it comes across on the screen, I think you can see a, a team that's really in full stride um, with decision-making and with, you know, creative and tech. Like, everybody is really just knows kind of which way we're going with it and the the it, it just comes across on the screen and I think that you know gamers really benefit because um, you know because we're more efficient than we've ever been and and uh, and making better choices than we've made and we've 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 listened to them as well they've given us a lot of great feedback that that we've we've pulled into the game so it's just a, it's just a great time frankly and and uh, a lot of work that went into it and now we get to we get to really um, push ourselves now one question I have is um, you may be the person that end up answering this. You have this legacy, and you've been focusing on this legacy, and it's notable from beginning of 2016's Doom to now, even with all the teasers for Eternal. What's it been like bringing back the original models, but also modernizing them to the current standard? Um, I wish we did it originally. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think uh, it's... it's uh, it's been so much fun, I think, seeing... I get a kick out of the idea that a fan uh, in 1993 of original Doom, if he saw Doom Eternal, his head would explode. Like, because he's like, that's like the feature film version of this game that I love, you know. Uh, and and that's good. That's a good thing. That's the way yeah. it should be. So, and honestly, they're just great designs. I mean, it's it's uh, this is just great stuff we're working with. The original Mancubus is fantastic. Um, I love the characters from Doom 2016 as well. I mean, I, and I do think you know they are part of the universe now. We tend to think of the the fictional reason behind why they are different is these are just like a species of Mancubus. You know what I mean? There are many different kinds of Mancubus. Just like there are lots of different types of 
you know, tigers and, and, and jungle cats, you know, this is just one of uh, a species of mancubus. So uh, those other ones, you know, they're, they're alive and well, but, but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's been great. I think it's great for the game. It, it reads better. The game is more, the, this is our Evil Dead 2. That's what I think. Like <laughs> Evil Dead 1 was great, right? And it had all this cool stuff in it, but like Evil Dead 2 is the full realization of the Evil Dead universe and my favorite Evil Dead. Yeah. So I, I, we feel like this is our Evil Dead 2 where it's like we were able to steer into everything that worked, chip away the stuff that didn't, you know, and then add in a bunch of new stuff that capitalizes on all the great things that are due. That's awesome. Okay, I have a question that's a little bit out of the out of this realm. We're talking about <coughs> Evil Dead. Evil Dead is one of my favorite movie series of all time, of, along with Doom. But another series of mine that's just a favorite series of mine is Mortal Kombat. I yeah. love Mortal Kombat. I love the fatalities. Me and my wife this entire weekend, if there was a time we were away from QuakeCon, we're practicing to beat a friend of ours that is a total <laughs> beast at this game. So, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, Ash is coming to the game, supposedly, and stuff like that. Would you like to see the Doom Slayer in a game like Mortal Kombat? Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, we, we'd love to... It, it, if it works, you know? I mean, like, it's it's it, that's always, like, the the, the fan service yeah. uh, type of stuff. Uh, I, I think the Doom Slayer... I'm biased, but I think the Doom Slayer would kill everything in every <laughs> other game ever. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I don't know from a balanced perspective if yeah. it would work out so well, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean the fan, the fan, and all of us uh, would would love to see that kind of stuff. Whether it's, um, you know, that or Super Smash Bros. or anything like that, you know, you'd, you'd love to see that kind of stuff. But to kind uh, of branch from that, you know, talking of games outside. Earlier at the panel, y'all were talking about like classic games. Um, you were talking about Goldeneye and and some more. Um, with the classic titles that just launched, which was a really big, um, huge hit with fans. I, I mean, I purchased it like right when I got back to the hotel. Like Doom One, Doom Two, Doom Three, all on my PS4 now. Um, is that something that y'all thought about doing since like you know way back, or is it just like it was kind of like you know what we're just going to do this because we know fans want it? I mean, it's a pretty good fit for the 25th anniversary to to bring them on to. You know, we've we've done bits of it here and there the, the the doom games have been on you know on different platform obviously i mean yeah. doom's the part of the nostalgia of it is that it's been on just about every platform there is yeah. um but uh uh but yeah i mean it was a great time with the 25th anniversary to to, to really modernize uh you know them as far as being on just about every console possible yeah. um we we love them still again we, we use them as as source material so we know how cool they are as uh, I can't remember who said it on the panel yesterday. You know, I mean, the, the pixel art games are are, are kind of making a comeback yeah. to to a certain extent. So um, they're they're as relevant now as as ever. Um, they're always fun. I mean, the, the fun of them is is uh, transcendent, honestly. So um, uh, yeah, I think it, it just it we, we we saw the anniversary coming and said this is this is going to be a really uh, a really fun year, uh, a great year for Doom. Um, and and I also think that the the kind of, frankly, I, I'm I'm very much about not just. Um, I've been in it a long time. I love the history of the company. I love the legacy. Um, I don't want us to just live in the legacy. Um, yeah. I, I I'm really very cognizant about not, not having us not just live in the past. Yeah. We, we have to be forward thinking, 
you know, one of our mottos at the studio is lead, don't follow. So we apply that to, to everything we're, do going, we're doing going forward. So I think the fact that Doom 2016 came out and really did kind of reboot the franchise, um, I think a, a re-releasing these games without that kind of success around 2016 and everybody kind of having that, that cool feeling about Doom right now, I don't know if it would have came off as, as well, but I think it's just a perfect time with, you know, the, the, the brand feels modern and fresh and new and, and cool, and at the same time we can still, you know, look back at the legacy and, and, and bring those old games back, and it just, it just works with the anniversary. Awesome, yeah. um, so with this game, um, and I'm not going to ask for any specifics here, of course, but you're making a whole Doom universe, bringing in new locations that haven't been a part of the lore, you know, beyond just the UAC, Hell, and Earth. So I just want to ask, like, in general, what has it been like and what has been like your team's philosophy behind expanding this universe, you know, that you've been given charge of and bouncing it with what the lore has been and bringing in new things, new places to it? I'm sorry, what was the question? I was... Just, just like expanding the Doom universe, like in general, you know, since I know you might not be able to specifically talk about locations you haven't revealed yet, but like just in general, what has it been like to take the classic lore and expand it? I think it's been good, uh, good for the game. You know, the goal is to uh, make every aspect of the game engaging. You know, we just want to make a good game is engaging. You know, it kind of grabs a hold of you and it takes you on a journey for X amount of hours. So, like, I think lore and story and, and everything having, like, a background and a history to it, you know, adds to the engagement levels. If you look at, like, Game of Thrones or Star Wars, you know, the, these are worlds, fully realized universes that have depth and history and... and it, it, it just makes for it a more interesting uh, entertainment experience, you know, so uh, we tend, so, so it's a necessity, you know, you have to do it if you want to make something good and entertaining and engaging. Uh, secondly, it's been fun because to, it's kind of a perfect opportunity because it's a brand that has a lot of meaning to people, but it didn't have a lot of story, you know, there wasn't, so we were able to kind of look at it as a whole and be like, not so much the specific story of the original Doom of the Marine and all that stuff, which is great. I mean, that's, I don't want to say too much, but we're certainly respectful of that storyline uh, in Doom Eternal. Uh, but we could look at it in 2016 as a whole and say, what does the, the brand mean to people at a high level? This super badass, take, you know, one man against the, 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 ar the uh, armies of hell, you know, that guy's pretty badass. So, uh, yeah. so how do we, how do we, spin that and make that you know a, an interesting and somewhat believable storyline you know while mm -hmm. still being like completely comic book and crazy yeah so we we arrived at the story of the doom slayer and stuff and and uh, and in eternal we're, we're going to answer a lot of questions is it the same doom guy all those things so uh it's it's been very fun and honestly kind of easy to work with because you could do anything and the brand itself is, is so strong and fun that um it's 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 just been a blast turning him uh, into into this character that everybody loves, reintroducing him to a whole new generation of fans. Mm -hmm. One question I have is, unfortunately my dad hasn't been able to make it yet. I don't know if he's giving message. But one question he had for you guys is, being he comes from an entire different generation of gamers. We're talking the Atari generation moving up. What's it been like designing the that's game. A, that's our generation. I'm pretty old, dude. <laughs> um, so my question is, what's it been like trying to keep the controls and the gameplay experience intuitive enough for them 
while also bringing in your more modernized, fast-paced shooting crowd? <clears throat> um, I mean, I think we've we've probably, and particularly with Doom Eternal, we were actually we were actually just talking about this. Um, I think <coughs> ensuring that the game feels is is uh, demanding enough of of modern day players is is something we're we're actually if if you know if you were to draw a spectrum of of kind of where you could land on that, um, we're definitely aiming more towards modern players, you know, I mean, like, uh, whether it's keyboard and mouse or, or um, gamepad, uh, players, players these days, they've, they've, particularly the younger players, they've grown up playing like a lot of Fortnite and a lot of PUBG and, and games that, that, that push you and demand a lot of you. He always, he always raises his son as a, as an example and brings in videos of, of how he plays Fortnite. And, it's like I mean, literally, we sit we sit around and just like, how does he do? That? My God, and he, like, and, he, and he's eight, you know. Yeah, and he's yeah. eight, and and you can't like you 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 have to that that is the standard. I mean, that is what that is what a what a what a player expects. You know, that level of challenge, that level of of um, tools to that, that you know Hugo always says mastery, um, and that that shouldn't be a, a scary term. I, I think is is like it shouldn't just you know whether whether somebody believes they have good twitch skills or not um, the game the game will take you through a through a process of learning how to play it and learning how to be good at it and when we say you know you're going to master the tools and master the power fantasy the fun of the experience is going through that process learning learning those guns learning yeah. the weak points um, learning the way the mechanics work learning how to dash at the right time and you know it's it's uh, like that process is the fun, and it and it does it does challenge you. And if we don't, um, if we don't if we don't challenge the player, we're gonna get big shoulder shrugs. Like, yeah. eh, I don't know, it was okay, it was kind of boring. But the, the difficulty settings go a long way too. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. so like we're we're working hard on that right now. You know, just making sure that the meta the metas don't change. You know, the things you need to do and flame belch and aggressively manage your resources and move and all that stuff. That stays the same, but I think as you go down in difficulty, you'll be allowed to make a few more mistakes and uh, we won't ask you to process so many things at once. You know, uh, on ultraviolence, there are a lot more guys throwing fastballs at you and throwing heavy shots with a lot more enemies attacking you at once. So you have to basically... And the fastballs hurt. You yeah, can't. Per, per you second. You know, we're asking you to do X amount of... Make X amount of decisions per second, you know, um, or per minute, whatever you want to judge that. And then... Um, uh, and we're letting you make far fewer mistakes, you know, per minute and, and per second. And then uh, if you go down in difficulty, you'll be making fewer decisions, you know, per second, and you'll be allowed to make more mistakes. So... Yeah. But the uh, mechanics don't change. But the mechanics will not change, you know. Uh, so that's that. That's where we make it accessible to people. But it's got to be, I think, with our game, or a game like ours, or a studio like ours, you know, we, we don't. It's not a looter shooter. Like with looter shooters, like the difficulty can go down because the the amount of content you're giving to the player, the the drip of content goes way up. So it's like, well, I'll mow through these guys fast if I'm of the right level and I've got the right gun. But I also want to be getting guns like every two minutes, you know. Yeah. As your content goes down, everything has to have more meaning in the game, and the challenge of the game has to go up, you know. Yeah. So I think that's that's the type of game we make, uh, and we love those games. So, and we love those other games too. That we're not saying they're bad uh, yeah. at all. Obviously. I think kind of like what y'all were saying too is like it's kind of weird how the world is like kind of globally switched on gaming because like even whenever 
you know, I'm 32, so even whenever I was younger, I mean, you know, there were gamers or whatever else, but still, like, my dad would get pissed off if I stayed inside too long. He's like, go outside, work. You come inside, play your video game for, like, an hour. And I'm like, okay. But, you know, now it's just like like the Fortnite uh, World Cup just happened. And, I mean, it was like, like hundreds of thousands of people go to a stadium to watch these guys play. And it's like what you said about your son. It's like I think now gamers are like – I feel like gamers now are on like a completely different level than I, what I was whenever I was like eight. Yeah, yeah. it's a puzzle. Like yeah. a game, I I have in-laws who think I let my son play too many video games. And, <laughs> and uh, I played too many video games as a kid. And uh, they are puzzles. They are three-dimensional puzzles. Yeah. And I absolutely think they are a great exercise for your brain. Like yeah. I, I, I don't agree that it's like not productive. It actually, I, I think, yeah. watch him, watch anybody's eight-year-old play Fortnite or my son he is processing information at like a ridiculous rate yeah. he's making decisions he's solving these dynamic puzzles that are changing and evolving constantly the right weapon in the right situation to build at the right moment you're gonna tell me he's not exercising some part of his brain like it's it's absolutely uh, true so yeah. yeah I think they're it's it's those events those esports it's the the puzzle olympics that's that's pretty much what it is well and off what y'all were talking about earlier as well um you know at the at the panel um so battle mode is a big thing that i'm like really excited about battle mode is going to be very uh very new um and fresh uh i think from what i saw there's going to be like six maps available at launch at launch so as we were going through this demo, I've played the demo twice. I played it here and I played it at E3. Um, and I noticed that there was some really dynamic, um, uh, like, kind of level designs. Um, so did y'all did y'all line that level design out in, in the perspective of using some of those levels in the battle mode? Or do the battle mode maps, are they, like, something completely different? The battle mode maps are... They're, they stand on their own. They're, t they're totally okay. unique. Okay. Um, uh, now, obviously, these two things are, I mean, battle mode is built with all of the campaign fundamentals yeah. in place. So, you know, from a size and kind of feel of the map, it's very much like a, a Doom combat arena that you would find in campaign. Um, but they are, they are specifically made for battle mode. We use the, the visual themes, obviously, but, uh, but when the design team is, is designing a battle mode arena, um, it is it is specially designed for battle mode and um, and and actually some of them we didn't really show this uh, but but some of them have some really cool things happening some some kind of dynamic elements where cool. part of the map might might have like a, a lava floor or, or fire and as you play through the different rounds the the map kind of changes a bit and and so you kind of have to change your strategy or where you can go on the map how you corner the slayer changes um, if you're playing as the demon so. Uh, yeah, there's actually a whole a whole side just to the level design of battle arena maps that uh, that is that is really uh, again it's all it's all about making it really compelling, really yeah. engaging, um, giving the players just constant constant processes to think through. Yeah. So, um, so you're basically saying that like when y'all play this at the office, it's like total competitive mode, right? Like, oh know? yeah, it's super competitive. <laughs> it's really really competitive. Yeah, yeah it's good, really deep. Awesome. It's a deep, strategic, smart game. It's awesome. What's the biggest bet you've placed it at the uh, competitive level at work? <laughs> oh, you know, we, actually, some we haven't no, done that we yet. We don't bet. 
Yeah. It, really? it's, that's actually surprising. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've not even really thought about Look, it. Look, now you put an idea in his head. <laughs> right. like, yeah, yeah. People get angry enough. Like, <laughs> I've, I've, I've personally, like, broken one controller and, and almost broken probably 50 others <laughs> just, you know, playing and s screaming. I can't imagine if I had money on the line. <laughs> oh, ridiculous. there's ridiculous. always challenges. You, you can, can do, do like a steak other, though, right? and some beer. Yeah, yeah like exactly. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I usually don't need much more to make it <laughs> like, than, than bragging rights. Yeah. So when you guys line out a level, do you do the, the typical development thing where you kind of wireframe it out and you have you know no texture kind of thing to build out the level itself first? Or, or do you guys kind of concept it out and build it from there? What's the question? So most, most video game development, like if you look at something like Assassin's Creed, I know we're talking apples and oranges mm -hmm. here, but they go with a, a wireframe and no textures, and they kind of build out the level and say, is this fun before we bother putting any more energy into this? Mm -hmm. Do you guys build that way, or do you design the level first? What's, your, what's the, we, the We design the mission first. So like uh, there's got to be like a high level, kind of like where am I going and what am I doing and why am I doing it? Um, so you could say it's story, but we don't... It, Sure, it's story. It's motivation. Motivation, yeah. yeah. And I think there we try to establish like what would be an interesting place to go to. What's an idea that would make uh, a level designer's job easier? You know, uh, so we come up with that. We settle on that. We have like a mission design doc. Uh, then the uh, level designer takes them, and in that is outlined, you know, broad stroke objectives. Thing, you know, this is where I go, why I go there, and what I do there, you know? And certainly, uh, we try to map out what we call like a three-act visual structure. So like, it begins in one place, the middle, you know, has a second act, and then a third act, I go somewhere else, you know? So that way the map feels like it, it's taking you on a journey. In uh, the Mars Core map that you guys are playing for the demo, for example, you know, I, I start on Phobos, I end up then in space on chunks of an exploded Mars, and then I end up in the core of Mars. Yeah, um, so it's a good example of that. Uh, we have our our sort of combat tools that the players have, like what AI do they have available, you know, like in this map in Mars Core, they've got tentacles and different things that we've introduced to the player, what puzzle mechanics are available. And then from there, you try to map it out and just pace it out. Like you don't want to have too massive, you know, we know that we've got these uh, traversal mechanics, so we've got like puzzle mechanics uh, in the game. We've got what we call uh, ambient, wait, ambient. Inter yeah. Intermediate, ambient. Ambient, intermediate combat. Yeah, intermediate combat space. Incidental. I always forget that word. Inci <laughs> <laughs> incidental combat spaces, which are the spaces between um, arenas. And then we've got our skate parks, you know, the, the mega arena uh, sections. So we just try to take those, pu those basic puzzle pieces and spread them out in a way that creates for a nice, well-paced experience. And then we're refining it throughout. Like, hey, you know, push me a little more here or like getting a little boring here maybe we introduce some combat puzzle stuff or an actual real puzzle using some of our simple mechanics like punch blocks and stuff so um yeah i think what's critical though is that you start with a good idea you know like the morris core one is a is a good one you know uh, a good example of that and and i think that makes everybody's life a lot easier and, and we do i mean what you talked about just specifically to answer th that question we, Every, almost the entire time that we're going through the process that he's talking about, it's all gray box. So, yeah, the designers are using, um, you know, as, as sim generally as simple a geometry as they can to both get the idea out and communicate some visual place uh, a bit. And then, uh, and then just 
it goes once once you kind of have that it goes to the concept team and they'll do paint overs and and kind of make it visually like a, a good visual key for the um for the environment artist and then the environment's kind of like flock to it like bees and, and it just <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden becomes like uh amazing. we got it it's tricky too you know like in that block out phase where you, you want to keep it you know gray box and loose because you got to make sure you set up your your set pieces and your vistas and those are like placed correctly you also want to make sure that you've got just enough puzzles and mazes and, and wraparounds and not too many that i become frustratingly lost but just enough you know um what's the flow of the map everything it's yeah it's much easier to to figure those things out when it's in gray box Hey guys, sorry, we have about five minutes. Okay. Um, well, I'll ask um, a different kind of question here, um, but I think it's, it's more appropriate because I'm, I'm really curious to know, um, since Tim Willis, of course, is leaving id Software, um, and many of us fans, of course, don't know him personally, but I've known about him for years. I've um, always respected him as a level designer, so and, and someone who came from the mod community originally. So I just want to ask both of you, since he is leaving, like, what does he mean to you? And what will his legacy mean to you going forward at, at its software? Um, yeah, I mean, I've worked, I've known Tim uh, a long time. I, I even before I started at it, I've been at it almost 20 years and uh, worked with them back all the way going back to like the Quake One Mission Pack days. Uh, I was their producer at Activision, so. I've I've known Tim a, a, a long time and and uh, really respect uh, what he you know what he brought to brought to it as a designer. Um, I, I I you know it's it, you know it's it's like somebody you've worked with for 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 23 years. So yeah. um, really respect what he's uh, what he's done as a designer and uh, you know we've we've kind of been on on separate paths as we've done. Uh, the Doom stuff, you know, he's he's taken the reins on Rage Two and and Quake Champions, um, so uh, so I mean I think I've, I've again re really respected uh, what he's done and and uh, I, I know he's going to be successful uh, in in whatever he does. He's he's uh, you know he's uh, he's a he's a good designer and and it's going to do going to do great. Yeah. Oh, same. I mean, I don't. M Marty has a far longer working relationship with him than I do. I came. At the start of June 2016, so and that project was was run by Marty, so he was working on the uh, Quick Champion stuff and the Rage stuff. So I don't really have uh, a working relationship with him, other than uh, he's awesome and he's Tim Willits and he's participated in some amazing games. You know, going back to to Quake uh, and and and, the, and those games, and and, uh, and I loved Rage One. You know, I played the shit out of that game, and uh, so I'm playing actually Quake Two single player right now uh, at home. And, and uh, Great you know, I, game. yeah, it's fucking awesome. <laughs> so like, you know, uh, just a, a tremendous legacy. And as he said, I'm sure whatever Tim does next, it's it's going to be equally successful. I mean, pro probably the best indicators. My favorite game until we made Doom 2016 was was Quake 3. I mean, mm -hmm. like I was at Quake 3 Arena. I mean, the amount of time that I've spent playing Quake 3 Arena, and not just because I worked on it. Like I like. It's just I I love it so um, you know I mean he, he was he was the lead designer on that so have have a lot of respect for that and um, and uh, and just yeah it'll it'll be cool to see what he does next same oh, yeah. that metal box still sits on my shelf yeah oh I've got a few of those in my attic that are uh, that are still in plastic yeah. nice now to close it out I know we're at the very end of it uh, he actually has a question for you guys with the battle mode pertaining to it which. Uh, character or demon rather do you prefer playing as just on the entertainment value alone you want to go first um 
right now, probably the Archvile, he's the most strate uh, strategic. You know, he's kind of an advanced demon. Like, he, the Revenant is, is awesome. Uh, they're all awesome. But uh, really he, he doesn't have uh, kind of... He's not great with his direct attacks. He doesn't have a great offense. But he's a fantastic support demon. And it's fun to... It's a bit of a... Requires a little bit more thinking and teamwork, strategy and teamwork. So uh, if I am working with, let's say, a Mancubus teammate... And, and we coordinate just enough, and I kind of act as his support, so he's the anchor, and I'm the support demon, while the Mancubus occupies the Slayer with his, you know, with his guns and his and his flamethrowers and stuff. I can throw down my wall, my uh, lake of fire, so he does the thing where he like can burn wherever, the, you know, he could place it down wherever he wants. Yeah. Uh, he could throw up a firewall, you know, to protect himself, and also kind of box in the Slayer sometimes, and uh, he can teleport, so he can do some really cool things. Uh, that if used in support with another demon, uh, it, it's really, really effective. But what I find so interesting about him is if you play him wrong, you'll get completely slaughtered. So, <laughs> you know, which is a sign of a well-balanced game, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I, he's, he's currently my, my favorite. Uh, I probably, I, we've answered this question a couple times. I, I, I typically say the Revenant, I think, because he's he's so agile. Uh, I'm just, I, I, I love that about him. And he just has some really cool moments of, of like, the, the way that you can use his, his jetpack and then his dash um, gives you this, like, you know, kind of capability to go up and then come around a guy and then use the rocket barrage and you just get this like he, he when when you when you press the rocket barrage he kind of locks in place even if you're in the air um, but you can still aim and then it just goes like this this really cool feeling um, I don't know you feel like a like an Apache helicopter or something <laughs> like that um, so I, I really like that uh, the I, I will say the visually speaking and I think I think as things uh, the Marauder was kind of the last demon to really make it into the game yeah. so I've spent less time with him but but. The, the way he's coming together is going to be really really cool so I you, that that's gonna change and and honestly they're all they're all so fun it, it's it's really it's really cool because uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it because it it it's a totally different take on the feel of, of doom it's perfectly doom and yeah. and everything everything works just as you would expect and and there's a familiarity to it um, but it, it just you know, as we talk about, like, you, you play games to kind of think and, and make choices and, and have that challenge. And the fact that, you know, we now have this cast of characters in our game that you get to you get to bounce between and, and choose yeah. your favorite and try different strategies, and they behave so differently. You know, the Slayer is... The Slayer's the Slayer. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's everything. There's nothing like being the Slayer. But to have these, these added elements into the, into the mix... Um, it's so it's so fucking cool, um, and and honestly, the Slayer is an exhausting experience. Like when you're playing it in battle mode, like it's it's oh my god, it is so intense. So to to like play a few games as a Slayer and then be like, I gotta I gotta play as the Pain Elemental, and you're kind of like cruising around the top and launching, and it's 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 awesome. It's really really you said fun. You like the Revenant? Were you the one who decided to do the dude skin or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I was part of that decision for sure. All right, yeah, well, it's going to be cool. Yeah, we really appreciate the time very much. We're very excited. The game launches November 22nd for all platforms. Uh, Google Stadia as well, correct? Yeah, that's what we're, we're shooting for, awesome, yeah. Man. Awesome. Very excited. Well, thank you guys so much for your time today. Thank, thank you, you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you all.